Hello, and welcome to a special podcast edition of Hoops, presented by D3Hoops.com from the WBCA NABC studios. This is a chance we had to talk to Women's Basketball Committee Chair Bobby Morgan, head coach at Haverford College. Bobby and I spoke a couple days after the committee finished its work, including selections and bracketing, and released the NCAA tournament. Bobby, busy with not only the committee responsibilities, but also the fact that her team is in the NCAA tournament and competing as well. So we found some time to talk, but decided not to include it in our Thursday edition of Hoopsville, as we already had a number of guests and would just make the show a little bit longer. This also gives a chance for those who are interested in the committee thoughts and comments to hear it on a separate basis. Due to the fact that Bobby Morgan is a pretty busy individual with her coaching and committee responsibilities, we carved out some time to talk for about 30 minutes, pretty extensively, and you'll hear all of it coming up unedited. We talked about a number of topics from selections to bracketing, also talked about the challenges, the most of the committee not being able to participate in bracketing since their teams are involved in the tournament, a quirk on the women's side that the men find a different solution for, which we explain a little bit at the end of the show. At the same time, we also talked about selections, how long Bobby was off the call when Haverford went to the table and how much she was involved and who steps in in her stead as well, plus some of the challenges that they ran into this year and some of the ideas that Bobby Morgan has to maybe improve the process in future years. Again, this is a pre-taped segment, not part of the Hoopsville Thursday edition, but we thought you would find it interesting. Now joining us on the City of Salem Hoopsville Hotline is the head coach for Haverford and the National Committee Chair uh, for the Women's Basketball Committee. It is Bobby Morgan. And Bobby, thanks for taking the time out of what is uh, a bit of a busy week for you. Yeah, a little bit, but um, I'm happy to, uh, to talk to you about the, the tournament. Thank you. Um, of course, your team in the tournament. We'll talk more about that down the road. But let's back up just a little bit to the weekend. Um, one thing we got from Tim Fitzpatrick at Coast Guard was getting a sense of what the committee did in terms of how much time they worked on this over the weekend. Can you give us a sense of how much your committee worked over the weekend on this project? Well, sure. I mean, it, it's kind of the same every year. Um, the uh, The regional calls, take place early Sunday morning um, as best we can because we have the South and, and other, you know, New England. We have some incomplete uh, scenarios, so a lot of those racks are, are kind of doing the what if and coming up with, well, if this team wins, then this will be our ranking. If that team wins, this will be our ranking. And we try to get those in as much as we can. Uh, so some of us are on the call for two or three hours in the morning, depending on how it goes. And then we reconvene. Uh, we reconvened at 2.30 and began trying to go through the final regional rankings, but we couldn't complete them because we still had games going on. And uh, so we kind of were on the call for a good four hours then and got off for a little bit. We didn't really have much of a break for dinner, I won't lie. I felt like I ate a couple uh, crackers and got back on the call. <laughs> and then, uh, and then you know, once the final rankings were finished, began the process of trying to uh, get the tournament together. And uh, that went to, I guess I would say, roughly midnight. Um, and with uh, people jumping on and off the call, because we had for – this year, more than ever, we had committee members that teams were either in going to be automatically in the tournament or were in contention. 
Uh, midnight, Bobby. Um, wow, uh, to say the least. Um, what time during the day did you guys get started? We started our call, our national call at 2. Wow. The regional calls were all taking place during the morning. Now, honestly, I was off the call. The Not, bracketing... Yeah. That was the next part. <laughs> right. The bracketing folks were probably on the call later because because the teams, all the, the coaches on the committee whose teams were in the tournament are not involved in any of that. So right. um, I'm not honestly sure how late they went. <laughs> Do you get a chance? Actually, no, I'm going to save that. Uh, I want to ask the, that at the end. But let's back up to the process again. Um, I remember, I think, tongue-in-cheek making a comment to you that I, I could see a scenario where all but three of the committee members would not be participating in the call or at least in bracketing. I, I'm, I'm afraid that tongue-in-cheek one kind of came true. Uh, how, how long for you did you stay off the call? Because when did Haverford unofficially just approximately get to the table and, and you depart? It was later. Um, I'm not going to... I'm not going to give you the exact uh, number. It was later in the call, but I was off for a good bit. Um, and I did, I was able to get back on before we were finished. Okay. Um, but I was off for quite a long time and, and, um, and which was challenging truth, truthfully, because then when you jump back in, I'm trying to, you're trying to re catch up, mm-hmm. you know, on where we are with all the other teams and the conversations that have taken place. Um, so yeah, so the, yeah, this was a very unusual year. I mean, you know, one because I wasn't on the call the whole time, and then one I wasn't involved in the bracketing. But you know, that's how it happens. I mean, you know, everybody on the committee—it's grassroots, right? This is yeah. not a, uh, you know, not a paid organization. There's right. mostly a c- coaches who sacrifice a lot of time to to help with this, and it kind of, I, I don't think this is going to be a norm. I mean, it just sort of fell this way this year, and and uh, unfortunately for the folks that were left. Uh, it was left to just a few people to handle the bracketing. And, and I think that is, um, you know, that's not a good thing in a way because you do want to have as many eyes on that yeah. as possible, especially, uh, you know, with the number of hours you put in that day. I mean, folks are tired and you right. want to try to make sure that we're looking at this through every possible way. I mean, but I mean, as you guys know, so much of the bracketing is, limited to the geography and the and the restrictions that we have to work with per NCAA guidelines. So as much as people, you know, we get calls about saying, well, how can this team be going here? Well, because <laughs> we can't go further than 500 miles when, yeah. and, you know, we have restrictions. Uh, we'll get a little more into bracketing in a moment, but I want to, one more question. The regional rankings, the final regional rankings, obviously have a huge impact on the entire selection process. When we were doing our mock selections, we really had to make some interesting uh, decisions, not in the sense that they were interesting, but how they would affect our decisions in mock selections. How much of those final regional rankings kind of, I don't want to say shake things up, but certainly maybe change the course of how selections could have turned out. Well, I mean, I mean, I think the the final weekend of conference play always has a ripple effect. Mm-hmm. Um, in the regional rankings, just like every week's games have a, a, an effect on that week's regional rankings, right? right? So, you know, you've got teams that we had a couple of teams like MIT, like just came out of they came out of nowhere and, and, and won three big games, and so there's always that 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 impact. Um, so I don't know that it's different from week to week, but I mean, obviously the final the final week 
with the third week's rankings count, mm-hmm. counting as a ranked wins, you get credit for that. And then finally, you know, what happens in the conference tournament. So I think it gives you the most complete snapshot, uh, body of work, if you will. Yeah. And so that that's helpful to us. But there's always a domino effect depending on what happens that weekend. Uh, you hinted at it earlier. We'll just get it out of the way for those of you who are, or those who are dying to know because we've gotten our fair share of questions. Of course, uh, you guys, Haverford, the team, made it as an at-large pick. We also had you picked uh, or moved ahead of Muhlenberg um, in the regional rankings, which made sense. But uh, we should point out you weren't involved in that call, and and I I don't know Kelly Whitaker to be the kind of person who would allow a a member's team to make it just because they're a member. No. No, no, no. Um, I mean, you know, obviously I wasn't on the call at, all, at any point during the discussion of our team. Um, I think that the Mid-Atlantic, in a sense, though, benefited in, in a way because the four teams that were supposed to win did win. Mm-hmm. And then CNU flew off the board and Albright and Juniata. I mean, those teams, that we just had a very, very strong region. It was by yeah. far the strongest region that it's been in the four years that I've been doing it. Um, so, but no, obviously not. And, you know, the, the integrity of this group, the committee members, there's no way, um, you know, we go through each team, you know, one by one and the committee members advocate for the folks in their region. But at the end of the day, I mean, we talk about it from the beginning of the year to the end of the year, we try to stay consistent in what we're doing and trying to get the teams that go into the tournament on the same rationale. Uh, bar the devil's advocate moment that's it's not i'm just curious a couple of years ago somebody made this comment to me and i i kind of put it in the back of my mind and i've never had a, a really good example to use it but out of curiosity would it be more beneficial for you guys if you didn't know the team names to, or does it have any effect like literally if they block that information out and you only look we're looking at raw data I, and i'm not accusing of anything please don't on misunderstand that i'm just curious i've heard some people say you know what that wouldn't be a bad idea or i do try and do that or whatever the case may be i've heard different variations but would that be beneficial in this whole process maybe well you know what i I actually do that with my with my rack and i say to them i said like let's like you know as best you can right because you know the teams and i said look if you still head to head on this and forget who they are and their body you know the the challenge with that though i mean and, and and so you know, these numbers that we use, while they're, um, they're very important, win-loss and strength of schedule, they're, they're just numbers. So you have to still look at, you know, who these teams are playing and, and who are they beating and, um, and the opportunities that they have for ranked wins and things like that. So, you know, and I know Kelly will say this all the time, that this is an art and a science. And so while I, yes, I think that would be, it's an important exercise, I don't think you can do that because, you have teams that that clearly just based on body of work that are going to be stronger, and you know you have to look at what league they're in and and who they're playing. I was going to say so. So at some point when you start diving into their info, they're going to reveal who they are anyway. Yeah, I mean, I just, I mean, honestly, it takes long enough as it is when you know who they are. <laughs> True. <laughs> Come on, I mean, yeah, yeah midnight. I mean, but but um, but but, but you're, to your point, I I agree to a certain extent. Like trying to be as objective as you can. Right. Um, and, and seeing that, and, you know, this every, I'll tell you the one thing that I have seen, and this is pretty, you know, interesting, like every year is so different. I mean, this year we just had a lot of teams that, 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 that were stronger in terms of win loss percentage. Whereas last year, I don't know if you remember, we had a lot of teams get in the tournament that had significant numbers of losses. Yes. And, um, 
And I think it just falls into, you know, how the conferences go. And, um, you know, to me, the greatest challenge in this process, and I think I want to continue to have this conversation, is the ranked win column and and what the, the variable that that creates in the first couple of weeks as you go through these rankings because, mm-hmm. you know, they don't stick. So we're making decisions in the regional rankings with using that ranked win column as primary criteria. And then the next week that column completely changes Right. Even though that team won and continued to win, um, if you if you follow that, so yeah, that yeah. that really creates some challenges. I mean, that the having it stick third and fourth week does make it a little bit easier, but that that creates a lot of challenges because sometimes the tipping point is the number of ranked wins, mm-hmm. and uh, and then the next week that same criteria changes, even though that team won out all its games because the teams that they had beaten are no longer ranked. How, so. how, how far do you dive into that? I, we've talked to the men extensively on it. Maybe it, maybe I've done a disservice by not talking to you as much, but how much do you dive into it? Do you Are you looking at, okay, all right, they have three wins and four losses. Let's just make that number up. Uh, those three losses are all to teams ranked below them. Those four losses are all to teams ranked above them. Uh, is that how far you're di- diving into it? Because I know it's more than a win-loss number. No, no. We actually, you know, we'll say they have a win over a two, they have a win over okay. a three, they have a win over a four, and we actually look at who those two, three, and fours are because the two in one region might be very different than the two in another. Yes. Um, we obviously, you know, particularly in the last uh, rankings, we really look at the drill down um, of teams in terms of their win-loss and their strength of schedule of who have they beaten or these you know, teams with really strong records. Um, so we, we delve okay. into everything. I, I, I really will say this. I mean, and, and the committee members, um, they, they're, they're, they're thorough across the board. It seemed like the head-to-head win this year really was important as well, not in a negative way in any way, shape, or form. But I know one of the big ones out of the Northeast Conference, and I'm not trying to put you on the spot, but one that we've been talking a lot about, especially in the Northeast region, I mean, is uh, Roger Williams versus uh, Mass Dartmouth. Mass Dartmouth has a couple game better in the win-loss, but Roger Williams has a win over them. Uh, also, there's some other criteria where Roger Williams has them, including results versus regionally ranked opponents. But that head-to-head, and this is even on the men's side, really seemed to have its 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 strength this year, and, and not over anything else, but it didn't seem to be glossed over either. You know, and it's funny because as we get on the national call and we start going through each regions and kind of checking to make sure that they're correct, um, the folks chiming in, you know, that did seem to be uh, pretty much like our rack would have given them based on the head-to-head. Our rack would have, you know, when all other things are so close, that that's obviously, a, and that's a pretty strong tipping point, particularly if you have more than one win in a head-to-head. True. You know, it's a uh, a three to one or a two to one or whatever that is. I mean, that's, you're pretty much saying these teams are close. Um, but you know, with this guy's beating him now, if, if the other criteria is way different, you know, mm-hmm. and you have that head to head, the other team, if their body of work is still much stronger, they're going to get it. But when all other things are close, I mean, the head to head, obviously, you know, they beat him on the court and, and that's yeah. a, it's a pretty, that's a pretty significant thing. Sure. No, I, I can appreciate that. All right, let's slide into bracketing. And again, we should point out, <laughs> because your team's in the tournament, you guys didn't take part. That's a little bit of a difference in the men and the women. We're not going to dive into it now. If you want to understand it, feel free and contact me. I will explain why the committees are different, and, and that's what their rights are. But it is because of the makeup of your committee. You're down to only a handful of people to do this. You hinted at it earlier. It's too bad in some circumstances uh, along that. But 
uh, overall, uh, your thoughts on the on what bracketing was able to put together? Well, I mean, again, I, I wasn't involved in it at all. So, you know, just like everybody else on, on when it was announced on Monday afternoon, I had a chance to take a look at it. Um, you know, I think more than, than most folks, I mean, I understand the enormous challenges that the National Committee faces in terms of trying to, to get this done, um, in terms of getting people geographically aligned. So, uh, you know, it, it's fine. Uh, at the end of the day, I think they've got the corners. They've got some of the – we've got the top teams in different corners that are going to end up hopefully, you know, getting the best teams to the Final Four. Um, so I think that was – done well and other than that i really can't comment too much on how individual decisions were made because i wasn't a part of them uh curious though as a committee chair and i understand the point of view and again if someone wants more details i can talk to them uh, separately we're not going to go too in too into the rabbit hole here is i understand why the liaison and others at the nca don't want uh, necessarily coaches involved in the bracketing and has nothing with giving you an unfair advantage in the bracket um that said you're the chair and, and ultimately, in a case like this where you're answering questions or other people look up the information and spot your name and give you a call, I, I'm wondering, should you at least get that last look, even if it's Monday morning before the bracket is finalized and, and sent on to those of us who, who help put it together for the broadcast, should you at least have a final say and go, wait, no, there's a problem here. We need to fix X and Y real quick. You know, I mean, I think that's, something that we could talk about um you know maybe we can we can talk about that at our meeting in april of whether or not there should be some more folks having a look at this but um at the end of the day i mean i think that would be something the ncaa would have to decide perhaps the chair isn't a coach every year you'd have it be an administrator but then i think the drawback Mm. there is oftentimes administrators don't have the intimate knowledge of the sport um that that the coaches would have in, in terms of their region. So, you, you know, I think there's some validity to that of having more eyes on it. But, you know, I also, you know, Kelly, Kelly Whitaker and Ethan Walker have been, you know, these are the folks that I've worked with at the NCAA for the last four years. And, I mean, I think they do a remarkable job in, in, in trying to make this the best tournament that it can be. So, and, and again, you know, David Petroff and, and Leslie Irvine, you know, all of the people on the national committee who were involved with the bracketing, I mean, these folks work really hard. Mm-hmm. They're on these calls every week. So they have some sound knowledge of these teams. And, again, oftentimes the things that, that, that upset people the most are things that we usually cannot control. And I'm not saying that's the case every year, but sure. oftentimes some of those matchups are because we can't put a team anywhere else. Well, yeah, I mean, the Texas pod is the Texas pod this year. Um, you were lucky enough to have someone down there hosting, whereas the men's side, none of their Texas schools wanted to host. Um, and that changes the equation. And, of course, that makes their northwest corner brutal. Um, a couple questions that I think can help us a little bit. I know you didn't do bracketing. I'm trying to, to, to you know not go down too much the whole year, but... We do have a DePaul versus Trine matchup, for example. And while the national polls say one thing, we're not discussing those. The Great Lakes region poll said something. Uh, the regional ranking poll said something. Those two are are pretty much lockstep with each other. Those kinds of matchups, I think, are really what concern people. We got a really doozy of a game in the first round there. Yeah, and again, I, I can't give you any any insight into that whatsoever because I was not on the bracketing and. 
Um, you know, how that matched up, I don't know. I don't know. You'd have to talk to, uh, you know, the folks that were actually there. Sure. Yeah, I can appreciate that. Um, how much does, and, and this is a generic, so don't worry, uh, how much does the travel obviously hamper you guys? Uh, you might as well explain that a little bit to those who don't quite understand the mileage. <laughs> yeah, so it's 500 miles uh, or less uh, for teams to be put into different into different pods, and uh, we try to avoid flights at, at all costs. I mean, obviously, we sometimes have to have one, uh, sometimes two, but those are the restrictions given to the the NCAA folks that this is how they want it done. Um, so it does make for some tough choices, and and obviously every year the teams in change, and you might it, some years it, it's worked out pretty well where oh boy we can fit everybody in on this side and everybody in on that side, um, but it's tough. It's tough, and and so that is what often creates these matchups with teams whether they're in the same region. Um, you know, which is something which I know when I've done the bracket, we've tried to avoid, you know, having teams from the Atlantic play each other in the first round. or, or uh, But that's sometimes unavoidable because of just geography. Um, this is your final year on the committee, if memory serves. Um, the, how much has changed in the four years that you've been working on this? I don't think too much has changed. Um, you know, I think that the way that the committee structure is set up you have you come in and you're the rookie you usually come in with a couple rookies but there's some folks that mentor you mm-hmm. so when i came in dave martin was the chair dixie jeffers was on uh aaron nestor we had some really great people Kerry carollo from whitewater mm-hmm. and uh you know i it really is a pass the torch kind of a thing so you learn from the folks that you that you train with and then eventually you know you start to do the same thing with the people that come in after you um, I, I will say that it's given me an opportunity to work with people from all over the country mm-hmm. who I've just really been impressed with their integrity. I've been really impressed with their commitment to, to Division Three basketball. I mean, these are awesome people, really busy coaches, and they put an enormous amount of time into this. And it, it's, been, it's been a great experience. It's not easy. And, you know, it's like anything else when you do something like this. The only thing you hear about are the people that complain. You don't really get too many thank yous, but that's yeah. life, right? <laughs> I hear you. Um, if you were to have an exit interview, anything you would suggest to help uh, improve or tweak the process? Because every process could could can use improvement and tweaking. Yeah, I mean, I guess, and I, I already kind of said something about it. And, and the one thing that I would like to have further discussion about is the ranked wins and how the NCAA um, looks at those, because. I just find it creates enormous challenges in the in the in the rankings when you have that column as a variable each week. And they did make the change to have it stick the third and fourth week, which may be a good solution. Um, it's not easy though in those early weeks when that column changes once you bring it in and then it goes away. So I found that to be a real big challenge, at least in our region this year, um, and I saw it in other regions too. So that's one thing that I would like to see us look at. Um, it was interesting this year we did bring in um, non-conference strength of schedule as a secondary criteria. Yeah. And at times that was a tipping point. Um, I think that benefits some of the schools that are in conferences that play like 18, 20 games and they aren't, you know, they aren't able to really beef up their, their, their overall SOS. Mm-hmm. But then you can take a peek at who they're playing just in those few opportunities that they have non-conference, and that kind of gives you a different snapshot. So, um, 
So I think those are things that we can continue to look at. When you, uh, I, we should point out, committee chairs at the very least get together with other committee chairs throughout Division Three on at least one or two occasions uh, throughout the year. Do you guys ever compare notes, even a, even in non-basketball sports, for example? I, I don't know if you get together with a men's committee chair, but do you also chat with field hockey or lacrosse or whatever and just compare notes on, on how everybody proceeds with numbers and, and get tips or give tips? Yeah, I mean, so, I mean, I, they only did it, uh, we had one chair meeting um, in the last two years, and that was last September. Oh, okay. We didn't do it this year. We kind of had more of a, a, a phone call, but it wasn't with other chairs. But I uh, I found that meeting to be extraordinarily helpful because we did meet with all the, all the committee chairs, um, and we had an opportunity to go through some rankings and talk about how you make decisions. And, and it, I found that really, really helpful. Um, and I feel like that's something that they probably should do every year. Mm-hmm. Um, I don't know if that's a budget thing or something they just choose not to do every year. But, I mean, I found, I found the ability to talk about how different sports do their rankings and, and, and how they shape up things was, was, really, was really helpful. And, again, I think it's probably more beneficial for us to look at comparable, comparable sports like basketball. But the men do, do things a little differently. They kind of have mm-hmm. their own little, uh, I don't know, their own little rules, really. So um, it's, it's, good to, it's good to hear them and, and good sure. to, to get ideas from each other. Yeah, it's interesting because I think the men have learned from the women in the, in, in the Wayback Machine, and then, and then we saw the women learn from the men, and I think the men then learned from the women again. And I see it kind of ebb and flow between the two. It's fascinating to watch. But it's really interesting that you all as chairs don't meet every year. You're right. I, I was under the impression you did meet every year. Um, we, I think they used to. Um, you know, so, again, we met last September, uh, but we did not meet this past hmm past year uh we'd be remiss if we didn't discuss the fact you are in the tournament which we've hinted at a few times and uh you're off to randolph macon and ashland virginia uh you'll take on uh, a behemoth as you said who flew off the board in christopher newport um in a in-region game here uh your thoughts on the captains and how you how you fare on on friday evening i mean they're they're tremendous and um you know they've been they went to the final four last year they've been to the sweet 16 a bunch of times before that um, and they're just a really athletic, talented team. Tough matchup, not just for us, but for anybody in the country. And, uh, you know, so, you know, it's interesting, you know, in, the, in that group of four, if I was going to pick the top team in that group of four, it would probably be CNU, right, if you were going to feed them. Sure. Um, so I think, you know, I think it's, it's, it's just a privilege to, to have this opportunity, and I think that's how my team's looking at it. We have very contrasting styles, but um, – you know, hey, at this point, there aren't, there shouldn't be any any bad teams, right? True. And and so you, you just go down and, and you're going to give it our best shot. Um, the other side of that, by the way, is Randolph Macon versus Valley Forge. Valley Forge being the Pool B. Uh, by the way, I I heard that the women's committee was the one who kind of pushed for the Pool B needs to have an above 500 record. That wasn't adopted by the championships committee, but you at least you all did pick a above the only above 500 team in Pool B. <laughs> Yeah, um, yeah, we, we we did we did make that recommendation because um, I mean you know you have to have a lot of empathy for these teams that are don't have a chance to get in the tournament. So the pool B is a, is a good thing, um, a very good thing in theory. But I think you know again going back to the integrity of of a championship bracket, um, there should be some criteria that says hey if you're going to be in this tournament as a pool B, you need to to have have set a certain mark and. 
you know, and this team does have a, a winning record, so good for them, and, and it's a wonderful opportunity for those kids. Um, I think the Pool B is going to change dramatically next year. We've got some yes. conferences that are shaping up, and, <laughs> you know, Marymount, Cabrini, that group of schools are going to be in a, a, a conference that does not have an AQ next year. But I feel uh, next for the next two years, actually. Right. So I think that's going to, and there may be even a few others. So that's gonna <laughs> that pool B is gonna look a little different next year, I think. Yeah, add Thomas um, Moore to the mix too. Yeah. Okay. So they're going to be in that, that yes. group too. Right. They leave um, their conference and they don't have any home. <laughs> so do they really? They don't, they're not going anywhere yet. They don't have a home yet. Nope. Okay. Well, they they might slip in with some somebody, but but in the meantime, I think that's gonna look different. But you know, again. You know, how cool is that for those kids from Valley Forge yeah. to have an opportunity to play in the NCAA? So um, it's good for them. By the way, on the other side, there also is Randolph Macon and Kelly Williams. Have you dared even try to look at some of those matchups? And, and or are you waiting until the, you can get past Christopher Newport? Well, no, I mean, we, we looked at, we've, we've done our work. I mean, we've looked at everybody, and that's what you have to do going into a weekend. Um, I mean, she's, it's, she's putting up some remarkable numbers. Yeah. Um, and I think, uh, you know, I, I honestly think that would be a matchup that we, in, if we were playing them in the first round, we have some size. Um, so that would be something that would, would be okay for us. But she's still a really, really talented player. And it's kind of cool to see a kid put up those numbers as a sophomore. And then finally, uh, Centennial Conference. Uh, you, got, you are one of two members, Gettysburg, the other one, Muhlenberg just missing out. Uh, G-Berg seemed to separate themselves a little bit at the end of the season, but it was still a heck of a competitive year. Two teams in the tournament seems about right. Yeah, honestly, I mean, Muhlenberg may be one of the best teams in the country not in the tournament. True. I mean, they're 22-4. and four. Um, This was a year legitimately where I think we had three teams that could have been in the tournament. I mean, it was that strong. And uh, it was good to see our conference really had a, a dramatic shift. Most years, the conference standings aren't decided until the final week, right? right and this right. year, it was two weeks left in the season. It was very clear who one, two, three, and four were. Mm-hmm. So I think we were top-heavy this year. Yes. And, um, and and certainly Gettysburg had, had a you know, Emily Gibbons is a fantastic player, and they had a great season. And our championship game was close. I mean, two minutes to go, it was a tie game. And, yeah. Um, but, you know, they really, they they only lost two games all year, and, and uh, I think that, you know, hats off to them for winning. Well, Coach, I know you got better things to do now to get ready for your uh, your tournament games and, and <laughs> at the same time oversee your committee and make sure games are taken care of around the country. So I appreciate you taking the time to chat with us. Um, as always, we leave the coach the final word. Any final thoughts you want to share with those who may be tuning in? Yeah, I mean, I just want to say good luck to everybody in the tournament, and, and uh, I really hope we have a, a, a great a great NCAA tournament, and I'm hoping we have a great Final Four in Rochester. I mean, those folks have been working really hard to get ready for the championship out there, and, and I just hope it's a great event again. Well, thanks again for your time. I really do appreciate good luck uh, this weekend, and I look forward to chatting with you down the road. Okay, thanks, Dave. Bobby Morgan, Bye-bye. join us on the City of Salem Hoopsville Hotline. Of course, Bobby Morgan, the head coach for Haverford, who is off to the NCAA tournament to take on Christopher Newport. She's also the committee chair for the National Women's Committee. We can talk a lot about the makeup of the Women's Committee and why it differs from the men and why so many do not participate because their teams are involved. It has a lot to do with administrative roles. You you see women with a little bit uh, more administrative roles in Division Three uh, for a couple of reasons. 
One of them, you have the SWA position. That becomes an administrative role. And the second reason is because sometimes to retain some of these coaches, they will put administrative roles on them to kind of supplement the uh, the income, as it were, or, or the salary. So they may be an assistant AD or something along those lines. The understand how a committee is made up. It has to be four, at the minimum, four administrators and thus four coaches. It could be five administrators and three coaches, but it has to be a minimum of four administrators for an eight-person committee. If you look at the women's side, you have a lot of coaches, but you also have a lot of administrators. So a person like Bobby Morgan can be deemed an administrator and not a coach on the committee just by by a title, and thus you can open up a chance for another coach. Or you can say that Bobby's a coach and it opens up another opportunity for an administrator. Uh, there's very few administrator-only type people. David Petroff, uh, one off the top of my head out of the central region, and there's probably others that I'm missing, but it's only one or two. As a result, you also have coaches who are administrators who have really good teams. Um, and that's the case in this. We had five coaches, essentially, who are in the NCAA tournament who are on this committee. That's where it differs on the men's side. The men's side, a lot of administrators who are either former coaches and not current coaches are on this committee. And so you get the Ken Tylers, the Tim Fitzpatricks of the world. Um, the West region is, is um, represented by a former coach who's an administrator. And so you get a situation on the men's side where we get less coaches involved, um, or coming off the call, I should say, because you have less of a chance just by the makeup of the committee. Uh, I don't know how to fix that. Uh, I, I Bobby hinted at maybe the chair should be an administrator so they never come off the call. There's pluses and minuses to that. I like on the men's side, we seem to have gotten into an unofficial pattern where it's administrator, coach, administrator, coach. Um, I like that personally because I think you still need the coach's point of view, but I also like how an administrator gets a chance to chair as well. And we've gotten into that alternating status. Uh, next year, that would make it a coach. And off the top of my head, I'm trying to remember who the uh, third-year person is on the committee who's the coach, but I I'll remember it later. Um, and, and I'm fine with that. On the rare chance that that committee member has to step off, they step off. Now, uh, one last note on the differences in the men's and the women's committees. They are identical in the sense that if your team is in the conversation for and at large or your team's in the conversation just to be regionally ranked, you do not participate in that conversation. That is absolutely the same across the board in every single committee. Where the men's and women's committee differs is bracketing. The men's committee gets everybody back involved, and if your team's in the tournament, they have you work on a part of the bracket that's uninvolved with your team. Case in point, Chuck McMreen, who's from Ramapo, he most likely didn't work on the upper uh, left-hand corner of the bracket. He may not even have worked on the entire left-hand side of the bracket. They gave him the right-hand side of the bracket to work on, so away from his team. Now, we're told that on the women's side, the liaison feels that they don't want to give their committee members any advantage. In this case, they would argue that Ramapo and Chuck is getting a 24-hour in advance head start on scouting and, and getting ready for their game this weekend up at Williams. The, women, the men's side would argue back uh, we have trust in our coaches and administrators. We have trust that they are not going to do that work. Furthermore, many of them will tell me, I am so exhausted, I don't really care. I am going to take some time for myself and prepare for the team when it's time to prepare for the team. 
I hope that all makes sense. It's a little bit complicated. I personally like the men's model better. I have not uh, trust in the coaches on those committees. Another thing to consider, though, is, again, we have more coaches on the women's committee because of those administrative roles, and maybe because of that break, uh, setup, we can't have maybe the same allowances they have on the men's side. So be it. It is what it is. It's about what we can do, but we move on. That brings a close to our podcast with Bobby Morgan, the National Ch Committee Chair for Division Three Women's Basketball and Head Coach at Haverford. For more information on Hoopsville, you can always log on to our website, d3hoopsville.com. Don't forget the Thursday edition of the show and Thursday and Sunday editions throughout the rest of the NCAA tournament at 7 o'clock Eastern time, except for those specials that we'll conduct down in Salem, Virginia at the men's tournament. That does it for this podcast with Bobby Morgan. Appreciate you taking the time to listen and hope it provided you answers that you may have been looking for. See you back on Hoopsville on the live shows Thursdays and Sunday nights.